Welcome to episode 26 of the Self-Care 101 podcast with your host, Pooja K. McClymont, helping people achieve their full potential with effective self-care through wellbeing coaching. Thank you so much for listening today. In this episode, I'm going to talk about fear and belief, specifically the language we use and the way we process thoughts without really connecting to self-awareness or true consciousness. It's not that deep. (laughs) I keep it light, but I do want us to focus on self-awareness a bit for this podcast and also how you can learn to understand when fear, belief or language isn't yours. It's actually someone else's. By learning the difference, you can be better equipped to handle events in your life, focus on your goals better and probably achieve all that you want for yourself. Self-awareness is key. The most effective and the most talked about tool to achieve true success is belief. Belief in yourself. Honestly, you need to have that, and I mean really have that deep-rooted belief in yourself to be able to succeed at anything that you put your mind to. Now, beware of fear. It likes to turn up a lot. And it's important when you're trying to achieve anything that you recognize fear and that you can learn to manage it. Some fear is okay, but be careful of your words also, because you could think that you're being all positive and forward thinking, but your words are actually showing something very different. I've noticed people talk about themselves and their pursuits in negative ways, even though they don't think they're doing it. So what I've done is I've coined a few of those phrases just to demonstrate what's being said and give you some suggestions of how to rephrase the line so that it stays in line with your actual goals. So let's have a look at, I don't know, let's look at business. So on how your business is going. Firstly, it's a rude question to ask directly. It's like saying, how's your sex life? If you're interested in knowing how somebody's business is going for them, you just just ask how things are, you know, just ask how are things at work. That's enough, more than enough. Now the fear response would be, it's hard work, I'm doing a lot, slowly but surely. Now that's, you could see that as something like a safe response, which it is a safe response, of course it is, but it's actually steeped in fear. But your belief answer, so if you answer with belief in what you're doing, your response is going to be different. And this is where the language we use really affects what we're actually feeling. So a belief answer could be, I've got lots to do. I'm excited for what this year will bring. And because you're saying that you've got lots to do, you're not ignoring the fact that running a business is difficult, not at all. But what you're doing is lots to do. I'm excited for what this year will bring. It's completely different to it's hard work. I'm doing a lot slowly but surely. So it's very important as a business owner that there is a constant stream of fear and anxiety. It's it's important in the sense that it's there. You have it every single day. And until that business starts making money easily, it's going to remain there. That's just how it is. That's the nature of it. And it can take a good few years to achieve this. But those people that aren't in business, they really have no idea what it takes and how much you have to motivate yourself. We can speak regularly in negative terms so easily, and these are terms that display fear. Now, we're subconsciously telling ourselves those fears, and 
unfortunately, they will eventually manifest. So it's very important, going back to my point of starting with it's important, it's important to understand how we phrase our responses when running a business towards other people. So when people are talking about and asking questions about your business, you're always speaking in a forward motion. You're always speaking in a positive tone because every time you speak, you are telling your brain what's going on, what's your reality. So if it's always negative, I mean, you can complete that sentence, right? So let's look at parenthood now as an example. If you're close enough to a person, you can ask things like, how does it feel to be a mum or a dad? But for others, a simple general question saying, how are things going is more than enough. This, tu- this is touching upon self-awareness, but just ask how things are going if somebody's a new parent. Because you're being mindful of the other person's feeling. And quite honestly, how much do you really care? You know, if you're a parent yourself, you know what it's like. So your question, how are things going, kind of feels a little bit like you're coming from a place of, oh, I hope they're having a bad time as well. But the person on the receiving end is difficult to answer because you don't want to feel like a failure. And that's the immediate response, immediate thought response that happens for any parent, that if you're struggling, you're a failure and that's what people are going to see. So it's a difficult, it's quite a deep, loaded question almost when you're a new parent and you're receiving it. So if you're asked that question, how are things going? The fear answer for a parent is yeah, it's great. I'm tired. I don't have any time for myself, but it's great. It's very defensive. But your belief answer, if you're a parent, is it's great. I'm getting used to the sleep interruptions and I'm enjoying this change. It sounds a bit namby-pamby, I hear that, but it's important for us to control what our thoughts are. It's important for us to control the language that we use to talk about anything because everything we say is recorded in our brains. So being very aware of the language that we use is really important to help keep you in that state of mind that you want to be in you know it is difficult being a parent it's very hard at first as well because you have no idea what to expect and you don't want to keep being judged or feel like you're being judged and even your response being it's great I'm getting used to the sleep interruptions and I'm enjoying this change it might sound like you're overcompensating for the time but you're not actually what you're doing is you're telling your brain that this is tough it's going to pass I will get used to it But fundamentally, I'm happy to be a parent. Look, being a parent is bloody hard. Categorically, the hardest job ever. If you're a parent, obviously you know this, so you should be mindful. Don't take joy out of someone's difficult time now that they've joined the parents club. And for those new parents who only say having kids is all rainbows and unicorns, just stop lying to yourself. It's not rainbows and unicorns. Just this morning, my son put shower gel all over my office in various different places. I've literally been on the hunt via smelling shower gel to find out where he's actually put it. Although he did feel the need to let me know. I put it here and I put it here and I put it here and I put it there. It's trying. (laughs) Now look, if you pretend that being a parent is all rainbows and unicorns, you're going to get bitten. And 
I mean, no pun intended. (laughs) And then who's going to want to help you? Saying that it's hard will constantly train your brain to believe it, but believe that you can do it and that parenting is an ever-changing job and you'll start winning. Parenting is so dynamic, like it's, it's just not consistent. It's just a constant state of what's the child doing now? So you're always going to have to adapt. And I think as a parent, that's probably the biggest learning that being a parent is definitely not what it looks like in the movies or in the books. It is always changing. And if you can accept that it's always changing, you'll start to put less pressure on yourself to be this perfect parent. And actually, you'll kind of start enjoying the process. You will. I mean, the boy put shower gel all over my office. I didn't reprimand him. He's bored. I understand he's bored. So I can only say so much. But he knows it was the wrong thing to do. And he was very apologetic. But the fact is, he still did it. And you have to laugh. What else are you going to do? He's a child. They do these things, right? So on being single... Now, I must point this one out because when I was single, I was single for so long, like so long. I was probably single most of my life and until I met my husband. But yeah, I was single a long time and it drove me mad how often people would ask and have absolutely no clue at how I could be feeling. They would ask me, you know, the, the question are you single? Are you still single? Are you seeing anyone? And oh my God, I feel like self-awareness should be built into the curriculum. That's my opinion. I think that self-awareness should definitely be built into the curriculum because people really have no idea how other people are feeling. Like we don't seem to think about that. We care about what people's judgment is going to be, but we don't think about other people's feelings sometimes when when we ask questions. So like a fear answer for being single would be, yeah, still single. I wish I could find someone. I want to be in a relationship so bad. Now, that might be true. But again, we're talking about training your brain. So if you say those things and you say it often then your brain is just kind of in this constant state of loss. I'm, I wish I could find someone. Yeah, I really want that. I really want it. But your, your brain's kind of going, oh, maybe that's the truth then. So you, you wish you could find someone, but you're not going to find someone. So yeah, let's not find someone. Now, a belief answer for a single person could be, yes, I'm going on lots of dates, looking forward to meeting my person. And in the meantime, I've been traveling a lot, enjoying museums, whatever it is that you like to do. Now, what's different here in the response is that your response is keeping you in a forward motion. You know that you deserve someone, but you're just filling your life whilst they find you. You're not waiting for someone to fill it. You're open to someone to enhance it. Now, this is self-love. I actually think I want to do a podcast on this topic on its own. This is self-love. This is knowing yourself and being okay with yourself on your own. Remember, it's difficult for us to know who we really are and very few of us actually take the time to truly go deep to understand what makes us, us. Most of the time, we believe who we are because of who we have been around as we have grown up. Hence why sometimes our values, they get confusing. We don't really know who we are because we've been conditioned almost by the people that we've been around, by the events that we've seen, the experiences that we've had. Being open 
you're more likely to see that person arrive when they're supposed to. The moment you think it will never be me, now that's the moment you start training your brain to believe it. So be careful if you're single and you want to find that someone to truly believe that you deserve and you will, well, they will find you or you will find them. You've got to be open to it. And it starts truly with living your life for yourself, being okay with yourself and living, if it was an option, single for the rest of your life. I know that sounds depressing. I hear that. I do hear that. But it is at that point at which you can be okay with yourself and really seeing what life could be like without somebody and living your life as if no one's going to come along. Uh, I'm sorry to be that person, but that is when that person will come along because you're okay in yourself. You know who you are. And by knowing who you are, you give yourself permission to be open to receiving love. I really do feel like I need to do an addendum podcast to this because I know it sounds a lot. Yeah, well, whatever. You're married. What do you know? But I know I was there. I know, so I do have personal experience, but actually this is very scientific, and if you go to any relationship coach, they will also start with the you in this whole journey of you trying to find someone starts with you and your stuff, because you've got to get a hold of that first before you can even try to give yourself to somebody else. Okay, let's move on to some self-awareness. It's not you, it's me. Look, most of us have heard this lame line in breakups, right? But what if I told you that it may not actually be lame? That it may actually be the full-blown truth, but it's too difficult for us to accept the flaws we have, so it's just easier to say this rather than have a full-blown moment of self-reflection in a breakup. What if I also told you that more often than not, you're the one putting out there what you feel. Look, I know this is a hard pill to swallow, but I've included some science here just to prove what I'm saying, so bear with me. Now, our brains, they love a negative thought. It actually thrives, our brains actually thrive on it, and they can process it so much more easily than a positive one. Obviously, like that's obvious, isn't it? Our lives are filled with fear from needing good education so you can work and pay bills to paying those bills and trying to live within our means. We have insurance. We save for a rainy day. We have huge mortgage debt just to live in a house, by the way. We have student loans. We need to eat. We need to be at work on time. We need to be socially acceptable. We need to look a certain way. All this is then backed up by adverts we see everywhere we go on the TV, on radio, podcasts, social media. We can't get a break from fear. So our minds are now intrinsically trained to process and enjoy negative thoughts more than positive ones. And this isn't as simple as negative and positive. It's the words that seem positive, but actually have negative connotations. So here is the science. The brain has a negativity bias. Your brain is simply built with a greater sensitivity to unpleasant news. Now, the bias is so automatic that it can be detected at the earliest stage of the brain's information processing. Take, for example, I'm going to give you an example of a study done by John Cacioppo. Cacioppo? (laughs) And 
He'd done this study at this at the University of Chicago. He showed people pictures known to arouse positive feelings. So, for example, a Ferrari or a pizza. Pizza's always a positive for me. Now, those certain those are certain to stir up um, positive emotions, right? And then he also showed people pictures of things that are going to stir up negative feelings, so a mutilated face or a dead cat. And he also showed them pictures known to produce neutral feelings, so a plate, a hairdryer. Whilst he was doing that, he recorded electrical activity in the brain's cerebral cortex that reflects the magnitude of information processing taking place. The brain... Cacioppo demonstrated, reacts more strongly to stimuli it deems negative. There is a greater surge in electrical activity and therefore our attitudes are more heavily influenced by downbeat news than good news. Now our capacity to weigh negative inputs so heavily most likely evolved for a good reason, right? To keep us out of harm's way. So from the dawn of human history, our very survival depended on our skill at dodging danger. This is the whole running away from a lion response. The brain developed systems that would make it unavoidable for us not to notice danger and therefore hopefully respond to it. Further to this, you can read you can you can read up so much about negative thinking effects on depression and what is actually going on in the brain. I think it's just so fascinating to learn this because it, what it does is it, the science gives you concrete information as to what's happening in your brain. And if you can accept the science, you can start to retrain your brain to think and receive more positive information than negative. So science can back up what's being said. Why don't we all then believe it and become incredible beings and live our best lives? The core cool reason is because fear is such a strong and stubborn emotion that has been intertwined with us for so long that our current state leans more towards fear than it does optimism and joy of life. Therefore, if you want to make any changes to situations in your life, it will require the managing and recognising of this fear by raising your self-awareness, by learning what triggers your fear and how you can manage it better. So let me give you an example. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, the way to manage this is to spend less, right? That's the simple answer, simple response, spend less. Now, it sounds easy enough, but how many of us actually sit down and see where we could save ourselves money? It could be your nails. Stop getting your nails done. That might save you 60 quid in a month. It might be your phone tariff that you haven't looked at for a good few years and you're paying like 50 pounds a month, which you could reduce to 30 potentially, or even you could reduce to 10 because most people are texting and messaging and communicating through social media, right? Which is through Wi-Fi. So you don't need those call charges. If you're having difficulty communicating with others, how often do you look at yourself without criticism and find ways to improve your communication skills? This exercise, it's not about criticizing yourself for the way you are. You're most likely a product of the life experience you've had. Like I say, you have to choose to change and then make a conscious effort to make those changes stick every single day in order for the change to occur. 
To choose not to be fearful of everything is how you will excel in life. And I mean in anything you want to do. That's how you're going to excel, by choosing not to be fearful. It's not to say you ignore the fear. Some fear is absolutely normal and it's perfectly fine to have. But it's recognizing when your reaction is due to fear rather than a rational evaluation of the situation. Now, whatever that means to you, from keeping a positive mindset, improving your career, your health, finding love, it's important to learn to recognize fear and then to analyze whether that fear is really how you feel or is it the way someone else perhaps in your past feels? Because a lot of our fear, our reactions are created by what we've experienced growing up, what traumas we've experienced. And even if you haven't experienced traumas, it's the experience of your parents, how they react to the situations. You inherit that and then you take that into adult life. But how much of that is that actually you? Knowing the difference is what will help you understand self-awareness and how you can improve yours. So you've got to take this active action to improve your self-awareness of yourself, of who you are, separate to any influences that you may have had in your life. Thank you for listening to the Self Care 101 podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love it if you would subscribe and review so that other people like you can find the show. For more tips and tricks, you can follow me on the socials at Frankly Coaching or visit my website to find out more about my coaching programs and how to work with me at franklycoaching.com.